Well, there, there's no doubt that we've covered a ton in this series, and there's also no doubt that we were ever going to go verse by verse, chapter through chapter through Romans in five weeks. But we did have a goal in mind, and I think that goal has been something that has just been at the heartbeat of every one of these messages all the way to today in week five. And that goal was to focus solely on this incredible gift of salvation that God has offered to all people. And throughout the course of this series, we've looked at the need for salvation. We looked at the price of salvation, the results of salvation. And then last week, we were looking at the scope of salvation. And really, our prayer has been all along that we would be gaining knowledge and insight into just how incredible this gift is to us. You know, that got me thinking a little bit because we are a knowledge-driven culture, aren't we? I mean, if you think about it, we have been conditioned in our culture since we were children, even preschoolers, to receive information. Think about it like this. As students, you were in grade school, elementary school, whatever it was, and you started with those kind of building blocks, right? The ABCs, uh, multiplication tables, all those things, historical facts. It just kind of built from there, and we began to store information. And there's nothing bad about that at all. That's learning. That's uh, education that we need. But also think about during that course of education, you started gaining a lot of other information and a lot of stuff that really doesn't have a lot of value at all. It's just stuff you know, like this. You can hear certain lines from movies and you immediately know what the movie is, right? I think we're going to need a bigger boat. And immediately many of you would say, oh yeah, the movie Jaws. Or, or maybe it's song lyrics for you and you hear a snippet of a lyric and you know instantly what that song is, whether it was your favorite band or genre of music, whatever it was. And even more maybe <laughs> basic or, or really unuseful would be things like even commercial jingles, right? My baloney has a first name and some of you immediately would start singing the jingle. It's just there. So we have tons of useless knowledge just kind of mixed together with all the other stuff that maybe is more useful and more advantageous for us to get through life, to navigate through life. So what do we do with all that? Uh, the, the, the crazy thing in my thinking is, is all that stuff just kind of exists in the same space. Stuff we need to know, stuff we just know, and none of it really has a separate space all the time. It just kind of all exists together. Some of that information's fun, some of it's funny, but truthfully, we sometimes struggle with a lot of the knowledge we have to figure out what the real use of it is for us. It's just stuff we know. And if we're not careful, the useful stuff and the just stuff we know kind of stuff gets mixed together in a way that the knowledge that we do need, the things that we really do find helpful, never get used in useful ways. I think about it like this a lot. I, I talk to people and many of them, as they uh, find out maybe I'm a pastor or just turn to a spiritual conversation, they'll immediately make this kind of a statement. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. And then if the conversation opens at all, they'll begin to talk about the stuff that they know. They'll have the right answers. They can tell the stories, whether it's the story of Jesus's birth or his death, or maybe even details of the gospel. They know those things. Maybe they even talk about going to church or being a part of a church. But then the reality is that as they look at their life, or maybe you talk about life, you realize there's really no evidence that the message of the gospel has anything has been anything more than just information. 
And it's just kind of stored in the mix of multiplication tables and 80s hairband lyrics. It's just more stuff we know. In other words, if you ask, they can give you the right answer to whatever question it is, even spiritual questions. But there's really nothing to suggest that those answers or those questions have made a difference in their daily lives. Well, for the last four weeks, we've journeyed through 11 chapters in the book of Romans, and Paul has given a lot of information. And we really do pray you've gained that information, but has that information led to life change? That's the big question. And that's really how Paul begins to turn in these last chapters of Romans in his conversation and the intent of what he's writing information that we've received that is extremely helpful. He's shared with us how we can have forgiveness of sin and how we can have eternal life if we believe in the name of Jesus. And so in these last chapters, what Paul really does is says, now that you've got this information, what are you going to do with it? Here's the challenge for you to begin to see how this stuff can and will make a difference in your life. It's really kind of the question of, have you just gained more information or have you gained life transformation? Listen to how Paul says it. We're going to be in chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 today in part. Obviously not again, all of those verses. But he starts the conversation in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 by saying this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. The whole thing starts with that single word, therefore. Because of everything you now know, because of all the knowledge that you've now stored in your mind and in your heart, I urge you to. Here's what I need you to do. Here's what you need to do. And then he starts off by this idea of presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. This step of faith that is a total surrender to God. Tim Keller, preacher, author, said it this way. Scripture teaches that the gospel creates an entire way of life and affects literally everything about us. Therefore, he says, if you've received this knowledge, if you have believed in faith that Jesus is Lord and you have confessed him with your mouth, therefore, I'm urging you now to live that out. Take this knowledge now and allow it to become life transformation. But how does that work, right? Because that sounds good, but it also sounds like it could be complicated and we don't want it to be. And the good news is it's not. The idea is figuring out how do we rightly apply this knowledge of the gospel so that we do experience life-changing transformational life. How do we begin to change? How do we begin moving in the direction and the will of God and not in our direction and our will? That's exactly what we find in these chapters, these final chapters, these marks of a changed life. We can see what happens to us when we do rightly apply our knowledge of the gospel. 
in those opening two verses in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I think we find three very foundational, fundamental marks of our lives when we are in a right relationship with Jesus. Let me just kind of unpack those for a second, and then I want to share just a few other things with you that will kind of begin showing us how we build on these foundational marks. So if we're looking at Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, the first thing that we understand is if we are fully surrendered, if we are really moving in that direction of that life change, transformed life, the first thing is we are going to be fully submitted. Present your bodies. That's what Paul urges us to do. We do this, he says, in light of the mercies of God. What does that mean? God loved us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. He gave himself for us so that we might have new life. His mercy was offered to us. His mercy was given to us when we were guilty and undeserving of his mercy. And so our submission to him means that we now can be alive in him. We can give ourselves to him and he can energize, transform our lives into true life. Our desire now is not ourselves, our will, our thoughts, our plans. Our desire now is to live for him. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And really, it comes down to now in a fully surrendered or a fully submitted way, us saying, God, your will be done. I surrender to you. The second thing we find in Romans chapter 12 in those first two verses, that second foundational mark is not only are we fully submitted, but we are to be engaged worshipers as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then Paul says, this is your true worship. What, what he really is getting at is that we are encouraged to look at our whole life as Christians as a daily walk in worship or an act of worship. It's not just getting together on a Sunday morning that brings us to the place of worship or recognition of God and his holiness and his perfection and our praise and desire to honor him with our lives. It is an everyday kind of thing. It's not just singing a few songs on Sunday. It's living it out on a Monday afternoon or a Wednesday night or a Friday morning. It is about living every single day for the intent and purpose of bringing honor and glory to God in everything we say and everything we do. And so there's this incredible idea that Paul says here is that if we will fully surrender or submit ourselves to him, then we can become engaged worshipers throughout our life journey, not just occasionally, but every single day. How do we do that? Well, our affections, everything that we once were drawn to, we now turn and draw ourselves closer to him. Our affections are now directed to him and for him. And that lays a foundation for us, right? That we begin to think about and we begin to ponder about what should we do or how should we approach this or what about this conversation or what about this activity that begins to give us some room to understand that we are doing everything we do to bring honor and praise to him. Fully surrendered or submitted, we are fully engaged worshipers. And then the third foundation that we find in these first two verses is that we are to be in constant renewal. Do not be conformed to this age, but he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good 
pleasing and perfect will of God. You know, I, I think this is so true that when you lay this kind of foundation of surrender, when you lay this foundation of being an engaged worshiper, it just almost becomes natural that you would constantly be seeking to stay in step with, to keep your mind focused on him and his truth through his word and through the Holy Spirit living in us. So in other words, we begin to see the world around us in a different way. We don't see it the way it was before. We begin to see it as he sees it. He calls us now in him that we are to be righteous, to be like Christ. And so we begin to view all the things around us, what is happening to us, what is happening to others around us, the things that make sense, and even the things that don't make sense. We begin to say, God, I'm focusing on you. I'm trusting you. I'm believing you, even when I don't understand what it is. And so we're in this constant, need of and this constant state of renewal of our minds. Our old way of thinking, well, that's going to constantly pull at us, right? It's going to constantly ask us to go back to the things that we once did or to let go of what we know is right and go back to what we know is wrong. So we don't have to have this long list of do's and don'ts to make the decision. Do I go back or do I go forward? We now have the Holy Spirit living in us. We now have the Holy Spirit giving us energy and power in our life so that he can change our hearts and minds by that constant renewal. Why do we need the constant renewal? So that we can discern what is the good, what is the pleasing, and what is the perfect will of God all the way through our lives fully submitted, engaged worshipers, and in constant renewal, that's the foundation that begins life transformation in us. And I don't want you to miss this truth before we go any further, and that is this. These three marks lay down a foundation that we can build our lives on. But the idea is, is that we are building our lives on them. That is a process. That takes time. Sometimes we're going to get it right. Sometimes we're not going to get it right. Sometimes we're going to stumble and fall. It doesn't mean that we're not who we claim to be. It just means that we are in the process of building our new life. We aren't just completely transformed. We are being transformed. That's why we need to be fully surrendered so that when we find ourselves struggling with what is right or what is wrong, we will say your will be done. That's why we want to be engaged worshiper because we're always looking for God at work and giving him praise and joining him in that. And that's why we constantly need to renew our minds so that we don't get clouded up or, or the truth get crowded out with the old stuff and our old way of thinking and our old life so that we can stay focused on what is the pleasing, perfect will of God in every situation. So we start building and God is working in us and he's working through us in every situation on every single day. And that's really good news, right? Because I don't know about you, but I've had some bad days where I, I needed to know that God was still working because nothing else around me seemed to be working. I, I think that's true for a lot of us. And so that's why we need this foundation. That's why this foundation becomes so important. And that's where Paul starts here in Romans chapter 12. But then he moves on and he begins to lay out for us several things. And we don't have time to look at everything in these next four chapters. But I do believe there are a few marks that I think should define us and help us begin building that life of transformation that help us continue to move to become more 
and more like Christ. And I want to touch on four of those marks very quickly today here with you online. So here it is. These are the marks that I think should mark us if we say we are followers of Jesus, if we have been part of that transformation of turning from sin and turning to Jesus. The first mark I think we see is that we should be marked by love. We should be marked by love, not just any kind of love, but that God-like agape type love. Look at this from Romans chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. He says this, let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. I mean, it's so plain, right? Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't let there be anything attached to it. Just let it be God's love. Let it be a, a God-like love. And then he says, love one another deeply. And, and then he uses that familiar idea of brothers and sisters that we're somehow connected now, no matter how different we may be, no matter how far away we may be uh, from our culture or background or any of those things, we are now connected as brothers and sisters and should love as such. In Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, he opens on that and expands that out. He says, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. What a great debt that is, is that I would be in debt to all of those who are around me to love them. And that's it. To love them how? Love them like God does. And then he goes on to say, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, verse 10 says. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. What an incredible idea that is. When we say we love God and we love people, it has to be more than just words, right? Because love is that verb, that action. It's seen, it's felt, it's on display for everyone to see in us and through us. So Not so we can be honored, not so that we can be exalted for being a loving person, but instead so that others can experience God's love through us. That first mark of love should be something that is not debated. It should just become more and more natural in our life. Number two, the second mark I would talk about is the mark of humility. Romans chapter 12, again, verses three through eight, Paul writes and says, for by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we are many, uh, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the propitiation of one's faith. If service, use it in or, or proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting and exhortation, giving with generosity, leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. What did he say? Don't think too highly of yourselves. Don't think more of yourself than you should. And I think that's great advice. Paul explains this by telling us that God has blessed each of his children, each of those who are born again, who have been saved. He blesses each of us uniquely. We don't have to be like everyone else and we don't have to compare ourselves or try to be better than anyone else. We just have to be who God created us to be. We aren't better than anyone else. We are uniquely gifted 
and created as God intended for us to be. He describes the church in this way, using this analogy of being a body, right, with many parts. And each part is different, but each part is needed for all the body to work and function together. So therefore, each part is necessary for the overall function. Each part is important. Pride, of course, is the opposite of all that, and it really is our downfall because nothing we build on pride will last. And so he says, don't think too highly of yourselves. Instead, know that God has created you and gifted you to be exactly who you are. Rest in that. Live in those blessings. Number three, the third mark, grace. Now, I want to be specific because you may be thinking about God's grace given to us for, you know, uh, this undeserved gift that he gives, that kind of thing. I'm talking about grace in this way of being gracious. Listen to this. Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. There's something about being gracious to those who are around you. Can, can maybe we say it like this? I think it would go a long way for people who call themselves believers to build a life of kindness. Just be kind, right? Paul tells us to welcome anyone who is weak in the faith. And he gives this example of those who eat certain things and those who don't eat certain things. And there's a, a lot to unpack there. But just know this, that what he's saying is that it's no place for us to judge or look down or maybe even be unkind to them because they don't do the same things we do. Uh, here, here's uh, where we show grace when we understand that there are people around us who aren't believers, people who are new believers, and even people who are believers but have different convictions, we should be gracious to all of them. I, I kind of like the bottom line it like this. If you call yourself a Christian to the world around you, don't be a jerk, right? Just don't be a jerk anymore. Show kindness, show his love. You may not like everybody. They may be a jerk, but it doesn't mean that you have to match their attitude. Be a person of grace. That should mark our life. That should be something that we see readily in the life of a believer as someone who wants to show grace to others. And then finally, this morning, I would just mention this last one, and that is that this mark should mark us with a mark of unity. Let me read several places for you and finally get into chapter 15 and 16 briefly. In Romans 14, 19, he says, So then let us pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. And then in Romans 15, 7, he says, Therefore, welcome one another just as in Christ, just as Christ also welcomed you to the glory of God. Welcome, meaning bring them in, uh, be unified with them. And then in Romans 16, verse 17, Now I urge you, he says, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you've learned. Unity. We should be unified. Doesn't mean we all agree with everything but it doesn't mean that we're looking for divisions and finding our own corners to live in separated from each other. And unity can be hard, but it's not impossible because we really do need one another, right? We, we, we journey through this life that is hard and life alone sometimes feels almost too much, maybe even impossible. 
If the same Jesus living in you is living in someone else, then I believe we should seek unity. It doesn't mean you become best friends. It doesn't mean that uh, you're going to agree 100% on everything, even from a spiritual standpoint. But it does mean that you're seeking to live in peace and building one another up. So we have these foundations, right, that we can build on. We have these building blocks. We have the idea of being fully surrendered, of, of the idea of engaged in our worship throughout the week. We have, we have this constant renewal of our mind that is just pressing us to be more and more like him. And then these building blocks of love and humility and grace and unity that really help that transformation process, that become the evidence outwardly for people that we are a Christian. And all of that evidence is not stuff that is about behavior modification. All of that evidence starts as transformation, again, not on the outside, but on the inside. See, it's it's heart change that brings about behavior change. And I think for a lot of people, we get messed up here because we're thinking, I need to modify behavior. I need to stop doing this and start doing that. And while it may be true, you do need to stop doing this and maybe even start doing this. The truth of the matter is, until your heart changes, nothing else can change anyway. Your heart, your behavior starts with a heart change. In other words, when our hearts are changed, then everything else can and will change too. I think that sometimes gets upside down or twisted in our thinking. And because of that, we get frustrated. We maybe decide, well, I'm not really sure if I am a follower of Jesus because I keep doing this and, and, or, or I keep thinking this way. Think instead about what foundations are you laying in your life as you've surrendered to Jesus? Are you thinking about that surrender to him every day? Are you thinking about worshiping him and living a life as a worshiper? Are you thinking about this idea of renewing and constantly meditating and thinking about his truth, his righteousness, and then seeing the world around you through the lens of love and humility and graciousness and unity. You know, I I think it's important for us to have knowledge. There's no doubt. But I think when that knowledge begins to bring heart transformation, that's when it really comes together. And maybe that's something you've been struggling with. And maybe that's something you've been asking yourself about. And so I would just leave you this last question. And that is to do that heart examination and simply ask, has change marked your life? And if it hasn't, if you know it hasn't, it's not about behavioral change. You know that your heart still struggles to love or to be humble or whatever else it may be. And you're really trying to figure that out. Maybe it's time to go back and figure out what evidence is there. Listen, the truth of the matter is, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and God has raised him from the dead, then what did we learn last week? We will be saved. What we do with that step of faith, that acknowledgement of Jesus, then becomes paramount to how our life grows from there, how our life is built from that moment on. That change that takes time, that transformation that becomes a building and a process of our life to become more like him. That's what this whole series has been about, giving us an opportunity to really think it through, to break it down, and to see that God in his love for us desires for all of us to be saved. So has change marked your life? 
Maybe that's a conversation you need to have with somebody. Hey, we've got folks online. We've got people on our Facebook page, on our online platform right now that are chatting and available for you for prayer and other things. Uh, on our website, you can go to our contact card and ask to speak to one of our location pastors. It's all available for you there. And we would love to have that conversation with you as we all journey together through life, figuring out how to see that transformation make us more like Jesus. Let me pray for you today. Father God, thank you so much for our time together in your word, the time we've been able to spend here online on this platform. So grateful for that, that we can connect with uh, not only you, but with each other, maybe from miles and miles, thousands of miles apart. I pray that the message today would be not only challenging and convicting, but also life-changing for all those who are here. And Lord, we just pray today that each of us would seek that transformation that you have for us, that we would build on that foundation that you put into our life so that we might become more like you and the world might hear through our life and through our testimony, the power of Jesus and how he wants to save them too. Lord, thank you again for our time together today. Bless all of those who have gathered here with us as we pray it all in your name, Jesus. Amen.